Wonderful. This morning, uh, we're going to conclude our time in this venue with communion outside. So today, we're really going to be around the cross um, as we conclude this seven-week journey through the words of Jesus on the cross. And then afterwards, we've got two people who are going to get baptized, two young girls uh, that we're going to be baptizing. So I'm just, I'm just loving this, mo- this moment that we get to worship, that we get to pray, that we get to be in the Word, that we get to have communion, that we get to go down to the water to do water baptism. And um, I want to invite you to continue your worship by staying engaged throughout this morning in what God is saying to you. So let's open a word together. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get into our last word from the cross uh, in our Love Out Loud series. Jesus, as your word is opened, and as we look at what you said, may it echo into our hearts this morning, just your heart for us, and may you come and minister to us. Spirit of God, will you come and anoint the preaching of your word, and lead us in truth. You are the spirit of truth, and I ask, therefore, come and lead our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have had to trust a whole lot of things this morning in order to be in this moment. Uh, You had to trust that your alarm clock would go off. You had to trust that there'll be electricity to get ready and done for the morning. You had to trust that your car would start and get you here. I just had to trust that uh, the water steer fund supplies is good water and, and drink it and enjoy it. Our entire life, if you think about it, is built on the idea of trust, having to trust things in order to get through it. But we don't often think about it like that, right? We just, stuff has got to be there. But when we really think about it deeply, we realize there's a great invitation for almost everything in life to exercise trust. Because it could be that one day the alarm clock doesn't go off and there's no electricity or no water to get ready and the car doesn't start. And it's only then that you realize, hmm, I trusted in something that has let me down. So trust in its nature as something we've got to do. We can't get away from it. We can try, but it is absolutely impossible. This morning we're going to conclude our series through the words of Jesus on the cross by looking at his last word. And it's been so beautiful to linger around the cross over the past six weeks, right? To not just have our Easter weekend celebrations, but actually to say, let's pause for a little while longer around what Jesus has done. And I believe this morning we're going to go much deeper into a few words that we read and our lives will be set again on the fullness of Christ. I pray this morning that you would leave here knowing that love has come out loud to speak to all of our hearts. Seven words. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Truly, truly, I say to you that today you will be with me in paradise. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. I thirst. And then last week, it is finished. And let's read our seventh word on the cross together this morning out of Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 46. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. It is a dramatic scene. It was dark, unnaturally so. The curtain in the temple, which represented the separation between man and God, has torn in two. And apparently, if you read up a little bit more about it, and if you go into the Bible and how God described the temple to be built, it was a thick curtain, was torn in two. No man standing there tearing it. It was the Spirit of God breaking the divide. And in that moment, Jesus, with a loud voice, cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this was a cry of trust. It was a cry of trust. In that moment, when Jesus faced the last thing that every human being has to face, physical death, he faced it with trust. Incredible, deep-seated trust and such a confidence in the Father that he would give up his spirit in that moment. What a glorious thing it is for us today as those who know Jesus and follow him to say that even in our most vulnerable, painful, scariest moment of life, we have a father that we can trust. I love how these words work because the first prayer out of the seven words on the cross and the last one is all directed to father. And once in the middle, he speaks to God again, but he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we went through understanding why he used the word God and not the word Father. But here, right at the end, in his final breath, he speaks to the Father. He speaks to the one who loves us so, who loved him so, who continues to love us. He gives up complete control. That's the only moment probably in your life that you won't have any form of control is the moment that you pass away. There's no control that you can take into your hands. And he's saying, Father, I fully trust you for this moment. So yes, it is a message on how to pass on from this world to, the, to another. But I believe today we're going to see it is so much more. It is a message of trusting the Father through all things. Now what's interesting is Jesus actually quoted a very well-known psalm. He was quoting a psalm in this moment that the people around the cross would have known. And I'll tell you something interesting about that in a moment. But let's read Psalm 31, verses 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. There it is. The word, the living word, giving up his life, quoting the word. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me. Lord, my faithful God, it says in the Psalms. What is fascinating is that the Jewish people would recite the psalm in what they would call a prayer of submission and trust before they go to sleep. And this happened in the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. Psalm 31 was one of those prayers that was recited. What do we read in Luke just now? What time was it of the day? Three o'clock in the afternoon. 
So Jesus, again, in so many of his words on the cross, makes sure that those around him understand that he is now fulfilling scripture, but he's inviting us into this idea that our trust into Jesus and into the Father is a constant journey, not just a once-off when we get to our last breath. He was telling the people, just like you've been praying into your hands, I commit my spirit daily before you go to sleep because in trust you sleep and in trust you hope that you're going to wake up the next morning. Do this in your last moment too. And I have now come to fulfill this. It is a prayer of trust more than anything else. And I want us to look at each of the words in this prayer for a moment. First of all, the very first word in this prayer, as I said, is the word Father. Jesus' first and last prayer on the cross is to the Father. The whole story of the cross is enveloped in the heart of a father that has sent his only son to lay down his life so that we can be reconciled with him. Therefore, the curtain tore in the temple and he has crossed the divide and today we can say, Father, because of what Jesus has done. But you know what it says more than that? It says this, that the final word on the cross belongs not to death, but it belongs to the Father. The final word in the passing of those who know him and follow him belongs not to death, but it belongs to a Father who is on the other side receiving those who have chosen him. I think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the very first martyr, the very first recorded follower of Jesus, disciple and Christian who dies publicly, what we have in the Bible, the very first one, after the church was born and Jesus was resurrected and ascended and the Spirit of God was poured out, the church was born. And here we see Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And how did he pass away when he was stoned to death? He didn't cower. He didn't fall back. He didn't deny Jesus and say, okay, uh, yeah, let me rather say that I don't believe in Jesus. No, he preached the word with boldness by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he said he stood up and he looked at the heavens. And what did he see in the heavens? He saw not only the Father seated on his throne of sovereignty and rule and reign. He saw the Son, Jesus, standing up next to him. It's the one time in Scripture that we see the Son standing by the throne, not seated at the right hand. What does this say to us? The very first follower of Jesus that was publicly killed saw that it wasn't only the Father there ready to receive him, but now Jesus too. Isn't that profound? Jesus had the Father waiting for him to come, but now this picture of an open heaven says to us today that both of them are there. Both of them are anticipating the moment that we put our trust in them one final time in this lifetime and they are receiving us. That puts such a confidence in my heart this morning. It puts a trust in me to say, Lord, my life is yours. It belongs to you fully. And even in my hardest of moments, death, when that time comes for me, I can trust you. And there's a stepping over from this world into the receiving of both the Father and the Son. That's amazing. The second thing that we see in the scripture is the words, I entrust. Father, I entrust into your hands my spirit. To entrust is to commit, to give over to, 
to hand over and take your hands off. <laughs> to say, okay, now, now it's hands off for me. To say, here we go. It's a little bit like me and Sam resting for the mic this morning. It's something like, okay, now Sam, I entrust you with leading the service for us. Here you go. And I think you did a great job for the first time. Well done. And thank you for saying yes. But it's that handing over. It's done. I now put it completely over to you. But you know what I love about the story of Jesus and his relationship with the Father is that that trust isn't just seen here at the cross in that final moment. It happened throughout his journey as a man in this earth. Let's read in John 14 verse 10. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Here, Jesus made it very clear that his entire being, the entire way he lived, everything he's done was founded in a trust relationship with the Father. Do you live there? Do you know that Scripture says that Christ now lives in you? Do you now know that Scripture says that we are in Christ, but not just Christ in us and us in Christ? Scripture also says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So just like Jesus, we get invited to live in a trust relationship throughout the story. So that when the final moment of trust comes, it doesn't have to be this massive moment. It is just a way of life. Because we've been living there all along. How have we been trusting him in our lives lately? Have you doubted God recently? His word, the things that he said he would do? Have you given up on trusting him? Or can you, like Jesus, say, my life is entwined with him? We quickly run to others to have our trust encouraged. When we go through something difficult and we have a moment of difficulty, I want Eugene to get my trust level up. But Jesus made it clear throughout the story, trust the Father. Trust the Father. He knows that you need the things that you need. We are good in trusting our alarm clock. We are good in trusting our cars. We are good in trusting that we will have water and electricity. We're good in trusting our workspaces, people in our lives. But sometimes we let our trust in the Father slip. And it's because of a continued relationship that Jesus and the Father have had that trust was so established that in his last moment, he didn't just say, here we go. He cried out with a loud voice, Father, I trust you. Can we live there as the people of God? Father, I trust you. When I go through a difficult time, I have all my complaints and pity parties and all the other things, and eventually I end up with trust. Anyone relate? I'm quite dramatic, I've learned lately, not just only from Helena, but recently Alika has been telling me, sure, Dad, you're quite dramatic, eh? And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> so I'm sitting here preaching to myself. The invitation at the end of the cross of trusting the Father is an invitation into continuity of trust. Not just once. Of, and in a moment, I'll show you just why it is so hard to live there. Because let's be honest, it's hard in this life, Right? 
it feels kind of difficult to actually live in a constant space of trust. And I'll show you why, but I'll show you what Jesus has done. And then the words, into your hands. And I thought about this. Interesting that Jesus used those words. He could have just said, Father, I give you my spirit. I entrust you with my spirit and breathe these lot. But he added this, these few words in there. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. So obviously he was trying to let us understand something that he was trying to say. He's leaving us with something that we need to take a deeper look at in this moment. And, and I was praying and seeking the Lord in preparation for this. I'm like, Lord, what is it about the hands? What is it about the hands? And Thursday morning at four o'clock, I woke up and I felt the Lord just leading me and says, go, let's, let's, let's talk about this sermon. So I went to the lounge and I sat there and I'm reading just again, again, just those words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? And all of a sudden, I realized what happened here. It all goes back to the beginning. We've been saying it often lately that the whole story of the Bible is one connected story pointing to Jesus. And here Jesus, in his final words on the cross, speaks something that makes us think again of the beginning. Let's quickly read the creation story in Genesis 1. It says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Let's continue. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And all of a sudden, the whole rhythm and tone and words change. And it's and God says, let us make man in our image. All of a sudden, the hands of God gets more involved. And we read in Genesis 3 verse 1, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. When I read that, I imagine what the Hebrew poet was trying to say to us here. It tells a story of hands taking dust and forming a body. And then in that body, he breathes. And what did he put inside that body? His spirit. So when Jesus was saying, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. He invites us back to the beginning. When we were in that place of being in the hands. And then throughout the story of scripture we read how the Bible teaches how we were formed in our mother's womb. How the hands of God 
have been involved. There it is in the beginning, his hands that has formed us, that has brought us to his life, to life. Those very hands are the hands that we commit ourselves and our dying body back into when the time has come. And Jesus understood this and it spoke again of his humanity in that moment. But then he makes it clear, into your hands I commit what? Not my physical body, but my spirit. That breath that was blown into the nostrils of man and making come alive, that is what is being entrusted to God because this flesh box, this piece of meat is not going to last long. And oh, how we live this life taking so good care of this piece of meat. Especially in our Greek thinking today where we worship the body of man. Got to look a certain way, got to dress a certain way, got to speak a certain way. And the world neglects the spirit. The only thing that will continue living is the spirit. So what is entrusted? What is committed to God at the end? It's not this body. It's our spirits. The breath of life that the Father breathed into man, that is the thing that carries on. And that is the thing that we fully entrust to him at that moment and that Jesus has showed us. But I want us to go even deeper because we're talking about trust here this morning. Let's go into the fall of man at the beginning of the story. Genesis 2 verse 8 to 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed with his hands. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden with a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Genesis 2 verse 16 to 7. And the Lord God commanded the man which he formed with his hands and blowed his life-giving spirit into him. You are free. Let's just read that for a moment. You are free to eat. From any tree in the garden, live fully, joyfully. There's so much, there's abundance, you can have it all. Except, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we know the story. What did they do in the end? They ate. Did they die? But now we've got to make sure what death are we speaking about. Physically, no. But there was a divide in spirit that took place in that moment. And now I wonder why would they have done that? You see, they were walking with the Father in a trust relationship the whole time. The whole time in the garden. So much food, lacking nothing. You know what, even the animals were there hanging out with him, the lions were sitting there and he was petting him like I would pet my dog back home. Just complete trust, complete perfection. They were living there, but there was another voice that came into the story. We read it in Genesis 3 verse 1. He said to the woman, did God really say? And here we see that the open door 
to the sinfulness that all of us are finding ourselves in and battling is mistrust. The brokenness has happened because those words made us take a step back and say, can I trust God? And that's the story of our lives. That's why I asked a little while, do you find it hard to actually trust God? We put our trust in earthly things and in things that we, we see, but it's hard to trust God because in that moment, it all took place for all of us where the fight for trust is broken. And this is really the story of two trees, two voices, two pair of hands, and two choices. There were two trees in the garden amidst all the other trees, but two trees that are mentioned, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they could eat from all the trees except from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And those two trees came together in another tree when Jesus was crucified, taking upon him the curse that has come in because of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he now being the tree of life where we eat from. Trees in the beginning, trees at the cross. Two voices. There's the voice of the father that says, my children, I've given it all to you. In fact, this cosmos that I created is so beautiful, I'm gonna live with you inside of it. Have it all, enjoy it all. There's just this one thing, I need you to trust me that you can't eat from that tree. And then there's the other voice, the voice of the enemy that says, can you really trust God? What is he holding back from you? What is there that you don't know that he hasn't said? What is there in, your, in his story that is just a little bit unsure? It's the story of two pair of hands. The hands that formed us, the hands of the Father who put us up from the dust and who put his spirit inside of us. And then it's the story of the pair of hands that took from the fruit and said, I want to have control over the decisions in my life. So I'm going to eat. Because I don't know if I trust the hands that made me. And the story of two choices. And the two choices are simple. Will I trust God or won't I? So the final word on the cross in its essence is an invitation to restored trust. It is Jesus reversing what's happened in the garden and saying, you know how you live as a human? Let me show you. Let me give you an example of what it means to live in Christ-likeness. You live so that you put your trust in the Father continually, that even in your most vulnerable, your very last moment, your life is a story of trust in the Father, that you can say, Father, I have chosen not to take my life into my own hands, but to trust you with it. And Father, I choose today, even in my passing, that I trust you fully. And Jesus restores that which the man has messed up in the garden. You see, the gospel is in every one of these words. For six weeks, we've been looking at it, and in each one of them, what do we find? We find the heart of Jesus on loud display to each one of us just how much he loves us. And when I read it this week on Thursday morning, I said, Lord, help me trust you like that. 
Help me live like that, like Jesus did. Let my trust relationship with you be restored to the place that you wanted. And it, know it is possible because the temple curtain has been split in two. And there's an access that we can live in your presence like we did at first in a trust relationship that is continued. And then our text had ended. And it said, and he breathed his last breath. And the whole cross is summed up in this. The final breath on the cross was Christ giving up his spirit so that our spirit can take its first breath. Because it's that moment that you realize he's done this for you. And you say, Jesus, make me new. Make me new. I accept you. And as he taught in John, when he spoke to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again of the spirit and of water, what does this mean? It means that the cross and his final breath is an invitation to trust him. So it's say, Lord, I want to be alive and born again. Let me inhale my first breath in my new spirit as your son. And therefore, if you know Jesus, if you follow him, if you're a disciple, if you have made that prayer a prayer of your life, and if you're living it, and if you are witnessing today with us how two precious lives are being water baptized and saying publicly, yes, I identify with this message, then the good news is that we can get to that place, that most hard, difficult moment in our lives where we pass on and say, Father, take me into your hands this living spirit that you've placed in me, oh, take all of it. It is yours. I commit it unto you. Do you want to live there? Do you want to be so free from the fear of death that if sickness comes, you don't mind that much because it's just a little trip up on the journey towards the place where you are fully free? And yes, we trust God for healing. And in a moment, we're going to be praying for healing when we are at the communion table because he paid a precious price for it. But you know what happens in those moments? We fall into fear and doubt and distrust. And this morning, the gospel and the cross is clear. The father is saying, my children, trust me. I have got all of this. And I had it from the beginning. My hands were there. My hands have been carrying you. And my hands will be at the end. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that your message of hope is so written into each of the words that we have found in this story. I pray this morning, Lord, for us as a community, for us as your church, your sons and your daughters. May we trust. May we trust you. May this example of Jesus be so evident in our lives that we don't put our trust in chariots, that we don't put our trust in horses like the psalmist says, but we put our trust in the living God, the one whose hands made us and who's put his spirit and his breath inside of us. Lord, and I pray this morning that we would daily, Father, find ourselves breathing our first breath in the morning as we wake up saying, God, today I trust you. And I entrust myself to you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have taken us through this journey of the cross. 
Each of those seven words have taught us so much of your heart. And I thank you, Lord, that every single time we went through the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it shows us that you have come to make right that which is made wrong. I pray this morning, Father, if any one of us are living in distrust, that you would come and save us. That we would pray Psalm 31 verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit, Lord, deliver me, oh Lord, deliver me this morning. Deliver me from my distrust. May I hear the one voice that I need to hear. May I trust the one pair of hands that's made me, that is carrying me, that will receive me. May I be at the tree of life at the cross who took away the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that has brought the curse. Lord, and may your voice be the voice that we hear and listen to every single day. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted God. You've never trusted Jesus. I want you to take a moment just by yourself and say, Jesus, today I choose to trust you. Into your hands, I commit my life. You can just pray that by yourself if you feel led to do so. Thank you, Jesus, that you've heard every heartfelt prayer. Thank you that you have invited us to become born again, to be free, to be set free, to be new in you because of the work of the cross. And we honor you for that in Jesus' name.